This is The Uprising, starring Steve Alquist and Greg Brailsford. Today, we debate the two topics you voted on this week, taxes on the rich and pollution at the Port of Providence. Let's go. Steve, good morning. Hey, uh, hey what's up? <laughs> so much stuff happening. Uh, a very interesting week this last week, and uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, 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 we will. Um, we're going to try and stay on topic this week, however. All right, we can, um, we can was, stay on topic. There was a, there was a one thing that um, you wanted to talk about that kind of just developed. We'll cover it real quickly. Yeah. Uh, and that was the situation with uh, the police. BuzzFeed released an article indicating that police are using facial recognition in Rhode Island completely off the books. Nobody knows about it. Steve. Yeah, BuzzFeed puts out this excellent article. It covers all the entire country, or the entire United States. But in Rhode Island, it covers five departments, um, three of which are off the top of my head because I don't have the article in front of me. But... Rhode Island State Police, Province Police, East Province Police, one other police department, and the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. We're all using this facial recognition software completely off the books without any accountability, without anybody, um, without any official policies. We, you know, and so asked by BuzzFeed, hey, what's going on here? Nobody responds to BuzzFeed from Rhode Island except for the Rhode Island Department of Corrections, which says we don't use this anymore. Rhode Island Department of Corrections basically watches prisoners and they did over a thousand searches, somewhere between 1,001 and 5,000 searches using facial recognition software on a free trial basis. And I'm wondering, what were these searches for? What were they looking for? Because you've got a guy in a cell. That's your job is to make sure people stay in their cells. So what are they using facial recognition software for? That's a good, great question, and and uh, maybe DO, DOC could chime in and let uh, Uprise know, or yeah. let some some member of the media know, or make an announcement of what what is going on there. Because I think people have a right to know, as as uh, you know, government that's that's responsive to the people. We have a right to know why are you using this? Okay, you know, this seems to be especially after nine eleven, this whole like everything secret. We're not going to tell you anything because then it could, you know, compromise whatever. Right. Okay. Let's let's stop the bullshit. Okay. Why are you using facial recognition in the Department of Corrections? The people are already in jail. It's not like you're investigating somebody. That's not really your job. What are you doing? And if it is your job, in what way is it your job? Yeah. Right. I'd like to know that too. But another, the other thing is, don't forget, a little over a year ago, just before the pandemic hit, Rep Corvisi puts in a bill to ban the wearing of masks in public. Right. The state police and the province police both testified in favor of this bill. Not wearing a mask makes facial recognition much better. Were they doing that with this facial recognition technology in mind? I'd like to know that. Uh, The House and the Senate in Rhode Island, the General Assembly, have oversight committees. This is Representative Pat Serpa leads it in the House, and Senator Louis De Palma leads it in the Senate. The Senate just gave themselves uh, the power to have people testify under oath. So I would like it if the Senate and the House could call in representatives from these five agencies and ask them to do oversight on this issue. Let's put these leaders of these organizations on the stand, basically, and make them answer questions as to why they're using this, how they're using it, what kind of things they were asking about. BuzzFeed has stuff. They were looking up friends and family. They're looking up like ex-girlfriends and stuff. I mean, this is what some of these uses are. It's not being used entirely for law enforcement purposes. It's being used perhaps inappropriately. And I would like to know what cases were broken, what cases were made using this. Right. 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 Who's out there who was like, and we also know the accuracy on this, which the company that puts this in 
claims to have a 98 or 99% accuracy, but we know the accuracy for people of color is way lower. And the, right. So are these people, are people being investigated? Are people being looked at? Are be, people finding themselves on under the scrutiny of the police of the law enforcement and they have no, and they don't even know it because yeah. well, some bad connection. Uh, just, just to play the devil's advocate really quick here. There is a public uh, website called Pim Eyes that actually does almost the same thing here. In fact, it probably does the same thing. And it probably has a lot of the same images that the police database has. Uh, it works the same way. I mean, it's public images that can be scraped. So the, whether the police are using the tool or it's publicly available, it's going to do the same thing. So uh, Pim Eyes is, it's free to search. Like you can pop in your image and you can see what images show up there and all that stuff. But it's actually uh, $20 a month or $30 a month, I think, to, uh, to go to the links that actually go to the pages that have your images on them. And uh, their service is kind of marketed as a copyright thing. So if you want an image and you want to see if that image is out there on the internet, you pop it in and it uses AI. And it's and honestly, Steve, it's it's quite effective and it's quite accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did it several examples myself of, of, of friends of mine or myself, my wife, and the images that came up were dead on. And when they were not dead on, it was very, it, Pim Eyes puts it under a heading called low quality results, meaning they're not sure they're accurate. Even those were pretty accurate, but when they're not, it's it's very obvious this is not the same person. Um, there are certainly instances where you get lookalikes, which is kind of neat. I got to find out like gop- doppelgangers that I have out there. <laughs> sure. You know? I was like, wow, this guy has my exact eyes or this guy has my exact cheekbones or whatever. It's kind of interesting to see that, but you can really, you can pretty much tell it's not the same person. Now, that doesn't excuse the police. What are they doing with this information? Why are they using this? If they're using it to look up girlfriends and whatnot, and it's this is publicly paid for technology, stop. Like this is not what it's for. Right. Okay. You need to act like adults. And this all goes back to accountability. There's no accountability at the police department. You can do whatever you want, pretty much. That's just how it goes, you know, because elected officials have decided that the police are so well regarded quote unquote, right. that they don't need to be accountable to anybody and they can just work autonomously and do whatever they want. And so you get stuff like using facial recognition technology to look up and stalk, uh, whether it's ex-girlfriends, ex-wives, uh, women they've met and they're interested in or, or whatever it is. It's just, it's creepy. You know, I mean, you want to do that in your own time using a publicly available site. I mean, sure, go ahead. It's still creepy, but that's fine. However, if you're a police officer, you should not be using this. But more importantly, the Department of Corrections should not be using it at all because why? Or at least if you're using it, tell us why. Right. Come out, come out to the Senate where you now have to testify under oath about what a key importance that is, huh? Or maybe that just implies, applies to you and I, Steve. Does it apply to police too? I it wonder. should apply to anyone that the right. Senate wants to at their discretion. Yeah. So now we've got an issue, Steve, where they the Senate will intentionally not call people to testify knowing that what they're going to say – either might perjure them, okay, if they lie, or might reveal stuff they don't want to know if they're going to be honest about it. So that's another issue that I think we need to really press our Senate oversight committees on because you've got this, this clearly was intended to mess with the the ordinary people. This whole having to tell the truth and and having to testify under old thing was clearly targeted at whether it be activists or whoever uh, that like to to come out there and just and and say how it is. And, and, And they might not know if something they say is, is truthful, but they're not trying to lie on purpose. It's just that they may not have a, have a fact wrong or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's there to um, to basically make you not want to testify. Right, right. to make you worry about, oh, you might slip up and get you know uh, prosecuted for it. And, exactly. uh, and hey, you know what? If it applies to the, the police to come in and testify, okay, fine. Then we can use this as a double-bladed sword. That's fine. So, and that's what um, I would hope. If you're going to use it, use it in 
things like that, right? Use it to, and I'm hoping that if we're going to use this, that we use it in this particular case, to be honest. Yeah. So Steve will have more coverage on this. Yeah, we'll on be doing a lot of right throughout the week and on the coming weeks, because uh, this is something we're not going to let go away. It's, it's very yeah. concerning to everybody, I think, in Rhode Island that this is going on and nobody knows about it. So first topic I want yeah. to cover here, we're going to do taxes on the rich. So yeah. right now, there are a couple of bills at the state house to raise the tax rate. I believe uh, from what uh, six percent to nine point nine percent or something like that. So eight point nine nine percent. On this is on filers making what more than four hundred and fifty thousand a year, I believe. Yes, for, okay. but if you make more than four hundred and seventy-five k in twenty twenty dollars, is that married filing uh, jointly or is that single? You've got me on that. All right, I would well, think that it would apply to anybody filing. I, I would think it's jointly. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my wife and I get taxed jointly. Well, I don't get well, taxed singly. Well, best case scenario for, for rich people, if it's by, by single, if it's four seventy five dollars a piece, all right, stop complaining because that's ridiculously high. I mean, right. that's insane. If you're, as a couple, making almost a million dollars a year, like, you can pay 10%. Not a big deal. And worst case scenario, if it applies to married, filing jointly. Then that's still four hundred and seventy-five k as a as a joint couple that you're yeah. making. That's great. That's a great income. You could okay? buy you could buy my house one and a half times every year yeah. at four seventy-five. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> income. And honestly, the federal tax code is such a joke that even though the progressive tax rate on four hundred fifty k up past like I don't know what it is, uh, it's something like thirty thirty-five percent past four hundred or three hundred something like that. Um, but but the fact is there's so many deductions federally yeah. that you can get that it drops your tax rate down much less. And that's what less. we need I to mean, realize is like you might have a business where you bring in $500,000 a year, but you're also spending out of like $400,000 a year, right, to make that money in general. that's I mean, mostly like if you own a, like a little store and you're selling like, I don't know, anything, like a restaurant, and you're bringing in half a million dollars a year, you're spending... 90% of that to bring to basically for food and, and, and workers, right? And labor and everything and rent and everything else that you, goes into it. So really the amount of money you're bringing in isn't 500,000. The amount of money you're bringing in is like 100,000 maybe. And so you're not being hit by these tax increases. And in fact, there's a lot of good data that shows something like, well, 1% of people are in this position to pay this money. That's what is a tax on the 1%, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's not hitting average everyday mom and pop shops it's no. not hitting your local businesses it's not hitting your local you know your local barber right it might be hitting the lawyer who has a really nice office on your street who might be doing all sorts of million dollar business deals yeah. all the time and yeah. he maybe he's paying a little bit more but so what yeah, yeah. right doesn't hurt doesn't it doesn't even really hurt him because the taxes apply after you reach that 475 threshold. Right. A lot of people are confused by progressive tax rates and believe that if you make 475000 a year, you're paying 10% on the whole 475000 And federally, the same thing. Federal tax rate, uh, you know, it's like 10, 15% up to like, you know, 50, 60K. And then it right. goes up to like 20, 25%. Then it graduates from there. If you make, you know, a million dollars a year, you know, let's say that I think the top, top tax rate is what? Like it's ridiculously it's low, 37%. Low. It's 6.99. Well, federally, oh, I mean, federal, like 37%, yeah, 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 yeah. something like yeah. that. But if you're, if you're making that much and paying 37%, it's not on the whole million dollars. So if you make a million dollars a year, you're not paying 37% in tax. You're paying... 
10 or 15% on the first, you know, 60, 70 K, whatever it is. Then you pay the next tax rate on whatever it is up to that threshold. And then finally you pay the high threshold on whatever over the, the uh, top rate is, what is it? 400, 450 K or something like that. Uh, you pay that, that high rate on. So you're not paying this outrageous amount on the whole thing. Right. You know, you're, you're not, it's not, the tax rates are not as high as you think. Plus federally, like I said, there's so many deductions mm-hmm. that uh, your typical, a filer who's making three to four hundred thousand a year. Don't be surprised if their actual tax rate overall is like ten to fifteen percent. Right. I've seen it. That's it's it's that's that's what it is because of deductions, whether it be charitable deductions or upgrades to your home or whatever it is, or mortgage interest or whatever have you. Uh, these are all deductible. Now Rhode Island disallows a lot of federal deductions. A lot. So if you're making, you know, a million dollars a year, you know, your tax rates are still progressive. You're paying, I forget what the lowest rate is in Rhode Island, but the same thing. You're paying, you know, a couple percent on the, the low end amount of your money. And the next tier, you pay a little more, a little more, a little more until you get up to that, that high point. But in Rhode Island, a lot of deductions are not allowed. For example, when I bought an electric, uh, no, sorry, when I put my uh, solar panel system in to my house, that came with a nice federal tax credit. Okay, uh, Rhode Island said, no, 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 that tax rate doesn't count. Forget it. You're going to pay tax on, on yeah. your income, and that is not an allowable deduction. And so many other deductions are not allowable. I have to check, but I don't think charitable deductions are, are, are allowed either. I think they're grossly limited. Hmm. Um, all I know is when I put my income into Rhode Island, you see that what you're taxed on, it's almost the full amount. There's very little that's actually deductible. So that's that's the double-edged sword with Rhode Island is that, sure, the tax rate needs to go up, but they also need to really look at the deductions and say, you know, for, for ordinary people, this is not just, you know, defending rich people. This is for anyone ordinary that does uh, anything to their home or has, you know, some sort of deduction, whether it be, like you said, uh, renewable energy improvements or whatnot, that are not allowed to take that credit on Rhode Island and ends up costing a lot. Um, yeah. So this is more, you know, my statement here, more defending, you know, ordinary people that are not rich, you know. But looking at the, the rich side of things, Steve, I want to, you know, again, take the devil's advocacy here because, you know, as someone that, that grew up relatively poor, I mm-hmm. mean, my, my mother was, you know, a single income in our house for a long time, uh, and my stepfather contributed as well, but it wasn't a lot of money. It really wasn't. I mean, I, I was lucky if I got a new pair of shoes, uh, you know, in a year or two year span while I was in school. You know, everyone got new shoes for the school year. I didn't always get new shoes for the school year, usually, but not always. So uh, it was it was, it was was tough to, um, and, and it was always my mom, we can't afford it, we can't afford it, we can't afford it. Constantly hearing that when I was growing up. And I always dream like, hey, someday it'd be nice to have money. Well, um, started a business when I was 18 and really successful right away. And so suddenly I was 18 years old and had way more money than an 18-year-old person should have. And that was good. I wouldn't call myself rich. I think my income probably maxed out at like 125, 150K a year, which is still quite good for you know, someone in their young 20s. More than I've ever teens, made. Uh, late teens. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but as a result of not knowing really how to run a business that well, um, eventually closed the business. Uh, ran 10 years, so not too bad. But the last few years, we weren't making a whole lot of money. And then after that, I really had to conserve because I literally had to file for bankruptcy because the business had lines of credit, very large lines of credit, and I couldn't cover them myself. I think they were personally guaranteed. So unfortunately, you have to file for bankruptcy. And then everyone treats you like you're a scumbag for six or seven years. They don't give you any credit. You know, I could be making you know 500000 a year. They still won't give you any credit because, oh, you filed for bankruptcy. So that's the way it is. So then I started uh, my current business that I own now uh, and very successful with that. 
uh, much more so than my previous business. And so, hey, got money again. Right. So I've been in the position, Steve, where I've, I know what it's like to grow up having no money. Then I know what it's like to suddenly come into money and then suddenly lose it and then get it again. Right. So I can kind of talk on perspectives that many people can't in terms of what it's like to have money. I don't want to use the term be rich. I highly like consider myself rich, uh, but it's definitely a comfortable lifestyle versus struggling. Yeah. Like I've been there. I've been on, on both ends. And I, I know struggling sucks. Okay. It, it wears away at you. It's all you think about all day long. Mm-hmm. It's like every action you do depends on, can I afford this? Or what if this happens? Then I can't afford this. Like, you know, whatever they down to like letting your kids, you know, play in a certain place or whatever. It's like, oh my God, what if they b- fall and hit their head? I have no health insurance. I can't cover the expense of this. There's so many things that you worry about when you don't have money. It sucks. So I know I can level with people like that. I've been there and it's it's the worst feeling ever. It's debilitating. Okay. And so many stress problems come from lack of money. Yeah. You know? Well, they call it grinding poverty for a reason because it literally grinds you down, right? It really destroys your mental, physical, um, everything. You work every week, Steve, and your paycheck just covers the bills. So you're never going to get ahead. You're never going to be able to save anything. And you're always one small disaster, like a flat tire away from spiraling completely out of control. That's the thing. When you when you have a lot of money, you drive typically a beater car, right? Yeah. And your beater car is not going to be a reliable car. You right. know, and so it's going to have problems. And again, I dealt with this as a kid. You know, my first car was a piece of junk and I didn't have a lot of money. I was working at Apple Valley Cinema for yeah. $4.25 an hour. Um, this is what, like 12, 15, about 15 years ago, 19, no, huh. 25 years ago. What was 1996? 25 years ago. All right. Yeah. So yeah. So a long time ago and the federal minimum wage is like barely moved. It's like $3 more now since it's then. It's not even, it's, yeah. it's never moved. But, but bottom line is that I, I, being poor, not having money sucks. If you're listening to this podcast and you've had money and you had money your whole life and always been comfortable, you really got to empathize with people that do not have money. Okay, really talk to them and 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 listen to what it's like because it sucks. Okay, and in, in people that you know inherited money or grew up in a in a nice household or always had money, they don't know what it's like. They have no idea what it's like to struggle, and it's it's the worst. It really is. And and granted. We never reached the point where, you know, we were going to go hungry, okay? Right. That's a level of poverty I didn't experience, but I can't imagine adding food stability to all the list of things that, you know, we couldn't do. You know, forget 25% about of Rhode Islanders are food insecure. How many? 25% of Rhode Islanders 25%. Are, are food insecure, <laughs> meaning they're not guaranteed a good meal basically a week from now. That's ridiculous. And that's with all the programs we have in place, Steve. Yeah. That's with, you know, all these programs are overtaxed. And- all these programs are overtaxed. Yep. Yep. It's it's absurd. So so that's the, the poor end of it. Being poor, okay, is a real thing and it affects you uh, mentally. It affects you even physically. I mean, mm-hmm. I had physical pains thinking about how I was going to afford certain things. Yeah, stress was, is, uh, stress is a killer. And, and, and this stuff came up. It was really debilitating, and uh, it, it, it was bad. And the other side of it, lefties especially like to attack rich people as just the worst people ever, okay? And the fact is, is that that's bullshit, okay? Because if you have money, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Being rich does not mean automatically you're a bad person. But there are lefties. I see them on Twitter. I see their posts there. They hate the rich as if nobody who has money ever did anything to deserve or earn that money. Okay, that, that's, that's ridiculous. Now, now, 
let's let's just different <laughs> tiers here. Yep. Jeff Bezos clearly exploited his workers yeah. to no end and his vendors, okay, the suppliers that that supply the stuff you buy from Amazon get screwed Although, let me so just, badly by that company. And, let me just and say Jeff this. Bezos in, in general, you know, is is a next level villain. So I'm not yeah. defending people like him. Let me just say though, there's different levels of being rich, right? When we look, when we walk down the street and we see a person in a nice car, lives in a nice house, we think, wow, that person's rich. That person may be rich, but he's not Jeff Bezos rich, right? right. He's not um, owners of, you know, the CEO of CVS Bill rich. Gates, Warren Buffett. Yeah, right. I mean, There's rich. And then there's like people who are more well-off than other people. But to Jeff Bezos, everybody in your neighborhood, whether you're rich, so-called or not, it was poor. You're dirt poor. You're all basically the same. The guy who has a million-dollar house and the guy who, has, who lives on the street are basically equivalent to Jeff Bezos, right? And by the way, if he needed to make another billion dollars and railroading over anybody was in the cards, they would do it. Think about communities in Rhode Island that are ostensibly considered rich. Barville, East Greenwich, right? Barville was targeted by Invenergy, a billion-dollar company, for a huge uh, power plant, which was going to hurt housing rates in that community. It didn't matter how rich you were in Barville. You have this nice house and you live rich. You were nothing to them. Same as going on in East Greenwich with this med recycler plant, right? They want to put in this med recycler thing and pollute the air and all everything else. People in East Greenwich are considered rich for a good reason in Rhode Island because it's a well-off community. But their wishes, their ideas, their dreams and hopes mean nothing to a million-dollar company coming in to put in this stuff, right? So don't forget. So there's rich. And then there's, well, guess what? Big business, big corporations, richer people are going to come in and take your shit away from you. And there's nothing that you own, any of us own, that if a rich person wants it, they can't take it from you. They will take it from you no matter what you want. They'll buy it from you. They'll exploit you. They'll, they'll ruin you and pick it up at uh, wholesale prices. Anything you own, anything you value is theirs if they want it bad enough. We and live in a that's con- what we live. We live in a country where uh, money talks. That's money, right. Money talks in probably no other country, maybe South Korea, as strongly as it speaks in America. The capitalist mentality is so grotesque and pervasive that it, it affects everything. Right. Everything. And uh, I want to get back to the, the situation at hand here because, uh, you know, being rich – already comes with so many perks. And you just kind of hinted on that, Steve. Uh, And so when we talk about taxing the rich, okay, they're already getting so many more benefits beyond what uh, ordinary people get. And I just want to cover some of them because you may not think about it, okay? For example, okay, we talk about, let's say, following the law, all right? You know, if a law is backed by, if the punishment for breaking a law is a fine, then rich people do not have to comply with that law. Right. Okay? Speeding. Speeding tickets. Okay? And again, I'm, I'm pretty well off. I, mean, I wouldn't call myself super rich or anything like that, but speeding tickets, all right, don't mean anything to someone like me in my income bracket. They just don't. You know, a traffic ticket means nothing. It's a joke. Okay? Right. A speeding ticket's going to be what? $200 tops, unless I'm going like 150 miles an hour. Probably going to be around 200 bucks, maybe 150 bucks. all right? So I can either A go to court and fight it, okay, which I've done. Before I had money, I went to court. I fought seven speeding tickets. I won six of them. Okay. I lost my first one. I didn't know what I was doing. Once you learn what you're doing, it's very easy to win a speeding ticket. But bottom line is, if you just pay it, which a lot of rich people just do, they pay it, and that's it. So what? Oh, oh, your insurance might go up 100 200 bucks this year. Again, 
making 500k a year. Who cares? Who cares if it goes up that much? It just doesn't matter. All right. Park in a handicap spot. Right now, I would never do this, and I don't know anyone that would. But I'm just saying, if parking in a handicap spot is not towable, I think it's just a ticketed offense. Um, depending on your jurisdiction, I think it's a ticketable offense. Then okay, I can just park in whatever handicap spot I want. Now that's re- ridiculous, and right. they should tow for that reason. Because you are reason. in fact a decent human being. Yeah, okay. yeah. You just, you just, you know. But but that's the thing is, when you get older, you start to compromise on your value. Not older. When you get richer, you start to compromise on your values. Not me so much. I'm very, cons- I'm very aware of it. Okay, having been on both sides of the coin, I'm aware of the privilege that having money brings you, and. And so you try to be aware of it. But the fact is, is like I said, if a, any crime that is only punishable by a fine, rich people do not have to adhere to that. Now, poor people, okay, you get hit with a $500 fine for some, you know, you parked your car where you weren't supposed to, whatever. And it was an honest mistake, you know, whatever. But you did something crazy or, or speeding in a situation, whatever it is, like make something up. doesn't matter, okay? That ticket is a big deal to you, yeah. a big deal, okay? Not only is it, you know, $200, $150, whatever, it's like, you know, a third of your paycheck, half of your paycheck, whatever, okay? But now, let's say, all right, you got it, you decide you want to fight it because you don't want to pay $200. You think you were right. You can prove your innocence. So now you got to take time out of work, okay? So you right. got to lose some money or some vacation time in order to get out of work to fight this ticket. Then you go fight the ticket. If you win, good. Oh, that's really awesome. You've won, so congratulations, and you don't have to pay the ticket. But I'll tell you from experience, if you don't know what you're doing when you get to that court, you're going to lose, okay? The judge is going to find you guilty. I've had instances, you know, those six that I won, two of them I lost in municipal court, Pawtucket Municipal Court. And I appealed them to the traffic tribunal, which was in Cranston at the time. I, is it still in Cranston? I think, you know, it used to be on Harris Avenue, I believe, and now it's in Cranston, I believe. You can tell Steve is shaking his head like he has no idea because Steve does not speed. So Steve <laughs> no. never goes to the traffic tribunal. Yeah. I haven't been there in years, but I just I remember it, it, did, it did change to a different venue uh, a number of years ago. But nonetheless, the traffic tribunal judges are much fairer, much more fairer than the municipal court judges typically are. And you usually get a fair shake there. And if you can prove that, listen, this is why I did this or whatever, they'll usually let you off, um, even with just court costs or something like that. But the bottom line is, is that uh, it doesn't really matter. For rich people, you just pay the ticket and you move on with your life. It just doesn't affect you. Your insurance goes up. Who cares? You know, it'll eventually go back down, but it's only a couple hundred right. bucks. These are things that affect middle class and poor people tremendously. I'll tell you this. I know a woman. I talked to her just a few weeks ago outside the statehouse. Um, she lives in her car. She was kicked out of her house, she lives in her car, all her possessions are in her car, everything she owns in her car. She has no place to park that car. She has no place safe to park that car. And one day her car got towed and all her possessions, everything she owns was locked up in a lot. And she has no money to get it back, no way to get it back. She has groups working with her and hopefully she'll be okay. But the idea is that when they towed that car on her, they towed away her entire life. They towed her home. They towed her home. They towed everything she owns. I mean, and so think about this. You're living in your car. Already you feel so hopeless and helpless. And then they took everything else away from her just because, guess what? That's the way the world works. A cop saw the car, called the tow truck. That woman's life was, and now she's out on the street in the middle of the day or night, wherever, and everything, and she's got nothing. Oh, and there's also, you have to pay a fine to get your car back. Well, yes, yeah, right? which she cannot even begin to afford. Yeah. She, can, she could basically go visit her car and look through the fence if she wants to walk to wherever they did it, right? The, so, I mean, there are people who live 
so close to the edge. And this is not a woman with a lot of options. She has health issues, obviously. She's older, right? Um, she should not have to deal with this. And, um, you know, it's uh, not just a product of our tax code or being rich or poor. It's just about basic humanity here at this point. And uh, when I asked later, I, was, I had Senator Reid and the Speaker of the House. And I asked, what about using some federal or state money to just establish a safe place for people to park if they're living in your vehicle. Right. That's a great idea. And they were like, well, this would be a municipal issue. And our, we think the best thing is to get people into actual secure and stable housing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all for that. But in the short term, she's got her car towed <laughs> in a lot somewhere. And so, but, you know, if you're Senator Reid or the Speaker of the House, Shikarchi, I don't think that you really have a grasp of what, about what it really means to be in that woman's position right now. Yeah. I don't think you have a grasp of what, the crisis is in her life. You talk about being rich and, and then being poor and then being rich again. And I think to myself, I mean, I've never, I've always lived a relatively comfortable, lower middle class, blue collar lifestyle, my life. That's my life. Right. And so, and I've always been healthy enough to work. I've never had something happen to me so bad that I've been in a position to be close to live everything, but that's a fortunate, lucky thing for me. I'm really lucky that I had my health and I was able to work and I was able to go to school and able to do the things I do. I don't really see it as a, uh, Thing I earned. I was born with a certain amount of privilege, right? White dude, heterosexual. I mean, these are all things that are like signifiers that kind of put you higher up, right? It gives you a starting space. I start on second or third base and then run around the world. But then on top of all that, I've always been healthy. I never had to deal with something that was like, gonna, like you know, I had, I've never broken my leg and been out of work for six weeks and like, you know, fighting to keep my apartment or keep my place, right? Little things like that. I've never been in a terrible traffic accident and banged my head up or had like medical bills that just pile up forever and ever or never gotten on the wrong side of the law for some reason. And suddenly I'm in court and I've got court fees and maybe I go to jail for a while or or not, or whatever. Or I just fight these bad charges and I come out ahead, but I'm still like financially ruined, right? None of these things have happened to me. I've been really, really fortunate. Really well, that karma's building up, Steve. What's that? <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, well. That karma's building up. Watch out. Well, it's okay. But here's the thing. Yeah, you're right. That is karma. It is something. But we don't have built in to our system the real safeguards to help people when they fall completely through the cracks. And they're basically in the middle of a pandemic. This woman was evicted from her home illegally because they tricked her and said, we don't need to bring a sheriff to have you evicted. If we bring the sheriff, he might arrest you. So you have to get out now. All that is untrue. They needed to bring a sheriff in. They needed to, like, to do this eviction. And they could never have gotten a sheriff to do the eviction during the pandemic. But they lied to her, made her think she faced arrest if she didn't leave. So she left, lived in her car, then her car got towed. The people who kicked her out of her home illegally and evicted her illegally basically set her on a course to lose her everything. And, and they did not care. And when bills like the, uh, the taxes on the rich, when, when, when uh, anti-poverty bills, uh, I should say, I don't know if I call it anti-poverty, uh, bills that are designed to, to uh, hopefully help fix poverty right. uh, and, and, and move money from the rich to the less well-off. When these bills are up, please, folks, testify for them because and give your story, especially if you've grown up poor uh, and didn't have a lot of money and know what it's like. Give your testimony because I'll tell you, the rich people have their lobbyists, okay? The corporations have their lobbyists, okay, to come there and, and contact these legislators and say, you know, hey, we want you to vote this way and here's why, okay? 
Uh, poor people don't have their own lobbyists. They just don't. And want to know why? Because they can't afford one. Right. So, but they do have the people, and the people testifying uh, serve as that kind of lobbying to let people, these legislators, know: here's my situation. Here's what we're you're dealing with. Because they don't know. These a lot of these legislators, not all of them, but a lot of them are very well off. So well off that they can do part time legislation in addition to their other full time job. So um, it's really important that you get out there and, and make your voice heard and let people know that what you're going through because it is important. It does matter. You know, it matters uh, in a lot of bills. And we're hearing really good virtual testimony lately for, for a lot of bills that have come out of the state house. And hopefully that. That continues. So we talked about, you know, the advantages of being of being rich and how when you have money, you already have advantages. You know, I talked about how, you know, fine laws that are backed by fines don't matter. They just don't. But there's so many other things too. being able to, to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. You want to go on vacation, kids? Where do you want to go? Done. Booked. What, what does it cost? It doesn't matter what it costs. OK, because we can afford it. Kids, we need new furniture. This couch is starting to really get, you know, whatever. Let's go to Restoration Hardware. What does it cost? Doesn't matter. And Restoration Hardware knows this, why their stuff is so overpriced, because they know <laughs> rich people are going to go there and just blow their money on it, you know? Yeah. Um, but even Raymore and Flanagan, you know, Cardi's buy the most expensive piece of furniture in the place, and it's not a big deal. Not just not a big deal, you know? We're going to have a party. We're going to have it catered. Who cares? It's going to cost a couple hundred bucks. It costs a thousand bucks. Big deal. Nobody cares. It's not a lot of money. That's, that's the mentality when you're rich, when you have a lot of money, it's just things things that ordinary people stress about just don't matter at all to people with money. Wow. It's just it's it's crazy. I'm telling you from firsthand experience. I'm not guessing here, all right. And it's it's really weird. It's really weird, and it takes some getting used to. You know, when I like I said, I grew up with no money, and then when I started my first business, all of a sudden, you know, you're making. You know, a thousand bucks a week or fifteen hundred bucks a week, that's a ton of money for an eighteen year old to be making back, you know, twenty years ago. And uh and it's a, it's startling. Like, what do I do with this money? Oh my god, I have all this money now. And then you eventually get into this mindset where all of a sudden things that you belly ached about or worried about spending money on, you just don't anymore. Like going out to eat. You're going to go to a nice restaurant. Okay, I know me and my girlfriend or wife or whoever go to a nice restaurant. You're probably going to spend, you know, 150 bucks if you get alcohol, you know, typically. Now, if you're middle class, that's a ton of money. Mm -hmm. okay? That's like a Valentine's Day, maybe once or twice a year kind of deal if you don't have a lot of money. If that, if that. But when you have money, it's like every weekend or twice a week. And it doesn't matter. You know, you just it's 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 it's. The cost of going to a restaurant is like a rounding error in your annual income. It just doesn't matter. And so it's really important to get this stuff out there because you don't got a lot of people with money that talk about it, okay? Because they're embarrassed. They're this embarrassed. might be why, um, like you, you're, to your point earlier, that people hate the rich. Right, right, because the rich people never come out and say, like, yeah. you know, uh, this is my lifestyle, and I don't agree that it's it should be this way, but this is the way it is, and we should fix it, you know? Right. And so, you know, if I can be one of the people to say something, then I certainly will. The other thing I want to talk about, okay, because this, this is going to hit righties right in the balls, and it should, is that there's this mentality that rich people earned their money, and they deserve that money because they earned it, and they worked hard, okay? Bullshit, okay, bullshit. I can tell you for sure that I did not work hard for my money, okay? Did I work for my money? Of course I did. I, I run my business, you know, I'm a website designer. I do all the work myself. I don't hire anybody. I don't contract it out to overseas or anything like that. I do it myself. But the amount of money you can make designing websites for the amount of work you put in, like actually stressful work you put in, 
is is a joke compared to looking at someone who works at an Amazon warehouse right. or that cleans hotel rooms or cleans right. houses for a living, okay? Yeah, I know. You're scrubbing. You're doing physical labor the whole time you're, you're working. You're exposing yourselves to toxic chemicals. Right. Eight hours a day you're doing this, right? And you're making what? Ten bucks an hour? If Amazon, 15 maybe an hour? That's it. And I'm making $200, $250 an hour. Right. And I'm not working as hard as you. Okay, are let's you, just uh, get that out there. Are you shitting in a box in the back of your truck while you do your job? Right. I don't think so. Right. Are you pissing into a, in a bottle because you don't have <laughs> right. a bathroom access? Now, it's funny, Steve, you mentioned this real quick. I did yeah. ask a few friends that work at UPS. Yeah. And they did say that this happens at UPS, too, right. when you're in rural areas or when you just can't find a bathroom and it's become worse under COVID. So not to defend Amazon, but there are instances where any delivery driver is going to have to pee in a bottle because you're just so far away from a bathroom. Right. You have nothing you can have do. Have you ever driven so far that eventually you say, all right, I got to pull over and find a tree to pee behind because right. I've been there and many other people have been there. Sure. You know, you don't want to say, oh, wait, by the way, I publicly urinated. But you know something? Sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and you're like, fuck it, there's a tree. I'm yeah. going to go pee behind and the that tree. The difference is that Amazon, though, works these people so hard and sets such tight deadlines and such stringent requirements for the number of pickups and packages delivered that you just literally don't have the time to pee. Even if there's a bathroom, you don't have the time to go. You, you don't pl- have the time to go. You have to just keep going and going right. and going. You plan your day around the idea that I better bring a bottle with me to pee in. Right. And if you're thinking, I better bring a bottle with me to pee in, you're probably not working at the best, most caring job in the world. Right. So, I mean, point being is that is that people that are paid shit, okay, work harder than I do, okay? And, and, and any, any people well off that are listening to this going, oh, that's just him. I work hard. No, you don't. Shut up, okay? <laughs> what, what job, okay, where you work hard pays... 400000 a year. Lawyer, maybe on the high end, a lawyer, okay? Talk to someone like Rob Levine, okay? We've heard of Rob Levine, right? He's advertised on TV all the time. Ask Rob Levine how many times he's been to court, how many times he's actually tried an insurance company, okay, or a defendant in court. Very, 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 very rarely, okay? You settle, okay? It's a white-collar job. You settle with the insurance company. You get your payout, you're happy. He gets his cut, he's happy, okay? But the level of work that's involved is not a lot of work. It ain't physical labor. It's not doing what a lot of these blue-collar people do who get paid crap, who work a lot harder than we do. And why? Why do certain businesses or people make more money than others. Well, I can explain why why there's a lot of money in software. There's a lot of money in software because if I charge, you know, $10,000 to design a website for you and that website's going to make you $200,000 a year, well, then that's a good investment. Okay? Right. So that that makes sense for you to spend that kind of money. And that's why and there's obviously not a million people that can do software design, okay? Anyone could typically can technically clean a house. I mean, anyone, for the most part, can scrub or clean. Like, in terms of, like, level of skill, admittedly, cleaning a house doesn't require a a very large level of skill. You know, most people can do it. You move into a house, you start cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to courses. You don't have to go to college to learn how to do that. Whereas, if you're going to design software, you can learn on your own, but it's going to take you quite an investment of time to do that. It's not something you can just wake up and start coding. It doesn't work like that. So, there's definitely a level of skill involved. And I guess uh, what you're paying for is that skill. It still doesn't make sense, though, that you can uh, – I got a friend, great friend, um, did a software course, didn't know anything about software, right? Wanted to do game design. Went to a course in Boston for, I think it was two and a half, three months. And he's a smart kid, but didn't know anything about designing, did three-month course, and now makes $110,000 a year designing software. This is a year after he did this course. Right. So that investment of time, that whole three months investment of time got him – 
that return. Now, for the people on the right, especially, who are saying, well, why doesn't everyone do that? Why don't poor people just do that? Well, those, that course in Boston costs money. <laughs> it ain't free. Right. I mean, there's free courses online, but you're going to talk about you know, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to learn, not having that guidance. That's what you pay money for. So this, this course costs, I think it was like $10,000, $15,000. It was not cheap. And granted, it's a short course. You get, you get bootstrapped and you, you know what you're doing, but it costs money. So, the, so poor people cannot, cannot do this. It's shut out for them. Okay? Plus, you got to think there's like a million places, things that need cleaning right now in this country. And there's maybe a need for many, many less people to do whatever kind of coding that kid learned to do. Yeah. Right. So if a hundred thousand people suddenly could do what that kid does, his job would be also be relatively low paying and thankless and probably need to find another job soon because a hundred thousand people can, you know, doing that same yeah, thing. Perhaps so. Perhaps yeah. so. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, it all depends on the industry. It depends on, you know, a lot of things, you know, with, with cleaning, you know, the skill level between worst and good can only be so much. With software, the, the difference between good and, and great is, I mean, you're talking like eons different. Yeah, absolutely eons right. different. I mean, I would put myself on the lower end of that spectrum compared to some people I know, and they're light years ahead of me, light years ahead of me. So it's, it's, it, it's definitely relative. But my point here, this whole thing is that, is that it is complete BS to believe that people have their money because they earned it. For any family that inherited their money, especially, okay, just boot, boot that right off the, the list here. Because if you inherited your money, then you know. You know what's up. You didn't earn the money. Okay, you have the money. That's great. I'm not going to fault you. Nobody's going to be like you should just give it all away to somebody and be poor. But you know, the fact is, is you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You know, and, so, and to shit on people that that do work for a living and make minimum wage, it, that's not right because they're working harder than you. So yeah. just that's the takeaway I want to have here is that people that uh, make a lot of money don't necessarily work for it, especially if a lot of people I know made money in the stock market. They make a lot of their their nest egg they made in the stock market. Okay. That's not work, okay? You're using your brain. You're looking up stuff. You're looking at charts. It ain't work. Come on. I've done it. It's not real work, okay? You're just using your brain, using a computer. You're typing on stuff. It's just, it's not a lot of work. But you'll make, these people will make millions of dollars a year doing that or half a million dollars a year doing that. They'll make tons of money doing this. And it's just, so in the United States, you know, the last thing I want to say before we kind of switch up topics is, is uh, please stop believing the, the trope that, People that have a lot of money earned that money and they deserve it and that we shouldn't tax them. We shouldn't, you know, have a wealth tax. We shouldn't have a high income tax or anything like that because they earn that money. And then once you earn that money, you deserve it. And, and, and that's it. They should be able to keep it. No, no, no. We live in a society. And so part of your income based on how much you earn should go towards bettering that society. Yeah. Um, Steve, the next topic, uh, right. you got a lot of, of, of information about this because we've been covering it pretty heavily is the pollution situation in the Port of Providence. Yeah. The Port of Providence is the place where most of the dirtiest, grossest industries in Rhode Island have set up shop. We're talking scrapyards. We're talking chemical um, storage. We're talking fossil fuel storage. Um, the smell in the port, if you've ever been down on Allen's Avenue, is really obvious, right? You go down there, and as soon as you're down there, you can smell it. It is something gross in the air. Yeah, right? what does it smell like even? What is that it's, smell? It is, it's an overriding chemical-y smell. Sometimes it smells like actual fossil fuel, like gasoline-ish. Right. That's but other smell. times it's just like a sort of a metallic tint taste to the air that you can taste. And when you're down there, I, I mean, I live on the east side, not too far away, and sometimes the wind blows the right direction and I can smell it, right? 
the but it's not pervasive. But you know, just the other morning, uh, Monica Huertas, who lives in that area and who leads the People's Port Authority, which works to basically get rid of all the toxic businesses in the port, she talked about how it was a bright spring day the other day. She was getting her kids together for school. She opened the door. The kids stepped on outside and immediately were because the smell was overpowering of something in the air. Again, you can't always identify it because the number of businesses that are there, um, you don't know what they are. Some of the chemicals that are stored in the port are so dangerous and stored in such quantities that they're illegal to store in that quantity or maybe even at all in Boston. So what Boston does is they say, hey, we need a certain chemical. They call the Port of Providence. They siphon it out of a tank, put it on a small truck, and they drive it to Boston for their needs because it's illegal to have that much concentrated of the certain chemicals in Boston. The airport in Rhode Island, in Warwick, does not allow jet fuel to be stored in the quantity that is, sto- that it is stored in the Port of Providence. So when they need jet fuel, they store some of it there. When they need more, they take it out of the vast reserves that are stored in the Port of Providence and they drive it there. All right. We have what are colloquially known as bomb trains. These are trains that carry gigantic basically bombs worth of dangerous chemicals. And a determinus is the port, okay? The gas pipeline that supplies all the natural gas to this area, all right, basically arcs up through Boroughville, comes across Connecticut, arcs up, makes a little corner cut through Boroughville, goes to Massachusetts, and then comes down. It's run by Enbridge, and its terminus is the Port of Providence. A few years ago, I think about four years ago, that terminus exploded and spewed Hundreds of thousands of gallons of natural gas, which is essentially methane, yep. for over an hour, maybe two hours, just blasting gas, natural gas, into the Port of Providence. Okay, It was blasting this gas directly at the hurricane barrier, which is this gigantic stone barrier that prevents the downtown from flooding in the event right. of a hurricane. Um, I went down there the next day, um, had to go behind a strip club, climb a fence, Okay, and I'm walking along the top of the hurricane barrier. I get to where this is. It is covered in this black soot, which I couldn't identify. I didn't know much about this. I walk across there, not thinking much of it. I uh, took pictures, had a lot of photographs. Um, I get home, and I'm looking up. What is this stuff, right? Well, it turns out this stuff is uh, this black soot. No one really knows what it is. It's a bunch of chemicals that are formed inside of pipelines that because of the chemicals that we use to move gas, we add all these chemicals. And we then we put it under extreme temperatures. And then we transport it miles. And then it goes through different kinds of pipes and it has different types of methane and different chemicals to help move this methane. Well, the chemical processes that happen, we don't really know what those chemicals are. We just know they're highly carcinogenic. And me having walked through those and with my boots and then having come home, I literally had to throw away my shoes and wash my stairs to wow. my office because I was so afraid of what I might have just brought home. Because when you read about this stuff, we don't know what that is. We don't know what those chemicals are because they're brand new. We, we haven't even begun to analyze so what kind not, of chemicals. They're not required by law to, to, to state on their you know, bill of lading or, or whatever what materials they're storing at the Port of Providence. There's yeah, no- so we, 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 and, but some of that is highly classified. We don't, we, you and they might, the government might officially know on some level. I don't think the government, like DEM doesn't really know. Yeah. DM could theoretically find out, but I don't think they really know. They have, yeah, that, that is officially yes, but you and I can't know because if I'm down in the port and I'm taking too many pictures, 
I might get a visit from Homeland Security the next day. I know a, I have a story about that where a guy he was down there. He had borrowed a car. Go down and take pictures of some of the giant rusting containers that are there. The next day, the guy he borrowed the car from got a visit from Homeland Security saying you were down there taking pictures. We want to know why because they were basically photographed the license plate and went down. It's a dangerous place. Some of the chemicals that are stored there have a 30-mile evacuation zone. 30 miles is... Wow, 30 miles. 30 That's miles way is... Way more than all of Providence. It's where I live beyond. It's probably up to where, around where we are right now in Cumberland, right? It's uh, East Providence. It's 30 miles. It's the, war, it's the airport. 30 miles, that's the evacuation zone if something really bad were to happen. In the event of a flood, because remember, this is on the other side of the flood zone, these chemicals, if the water came up, if like if we had a 38 hurricane experience, all those industries would be flooded. And whether or not we could quickly secure them is not known. The dirt and the uh, soil is all contaminated. So this water would flood, pick up some of this dirt and stuff, and then flow it into Providence, Providence and surrounding communities. And then as the waters recede, leave all this soot behind. What's in those chemicals? We don't know. Because here's the thing. You have all these chemicals in one place. You have all this crap in one place. The way it mixes, the way it, like, they, they mix together, what that is, we don't know. Like I said, we don't know what these pipeline chemicals are because the pipelines themselves are creating new chemicals within them. We know there are trace amounts of radioactivity. That stuff I walk through, Trace amounts of radioactivity in there. We know that the uh, scrap metal yards have a lot of metal, but they also have some radioactive metals in there. They have heavy metals in there. Mercury, lead, all these things are seeping into the ground at a constant rate, seeping into the bay at a constant rate. So let's talk about environmental racism really quick. Do you believe, Steve, that if uh, well-off people lived in that area, that we still wouldn't know what chemicals are stored there? There would not, if well-off people lived there, there would not be a Port of Providence the way it is now. It would be a beautifully maintained beachfront property with sailboats. Go down there sometime, right? And go right to the edge. Go right down to where uh, um, Save the Bay has their corporate headquarters, right? They're right there on the bay. They have this beautiful little plant. Go to Save the Bay, walk down as close as you can to the beach, to the uh, bay itself, and then look straight out, and then look to the right. And if you look to the right, you're going to see Warwick and Cranston and sailboats and beautiful homes. If you look to the left, you're going to see despair, poverty, and destruction. <laughs> I mean, as far as you can see, you're going to see oil tanks. You're going to see crap, crap yards, everything else, right? Basically, as soon as you get nice houses into Cranston, you've got a beautiful bay. If you look to the left, again, all you see is like a, a, a nightmare. It's like, it looks like the worst aspect. It's like... If post-apocalyptic New Jersey or something, this is that bad. And so this is the difference, right? And, and that's, it's, it's a, a good, good point, Steve, because, because to tie it into our first topic, topic again, again, when you, you have, have money, you have power. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say that they wanted to open up, theoretically, open up a port of Providence that would store these polluting chemicals across the street from somewhere on Blackstone Boulevard. Yeah, okay. I would love to see them try Rich people will find out about this, okay, because they're more connected politically. They'll find out. And then, if this goes ahead, they will sue. Yeah. They will sue. All of them, individually, collectively, will sue the state to stop this from happening. Poor people don't have the money to sue. Okay? Now, you might get lucky and end up with, you know, with Stephen Doniger, who uh, will do your, your case pro bono because he believes in it. But that's very rare, and it's clearly not happening here. 
Right. So, so um, well, here's the thing. If you're a big company, let's say you're Exxon and you want to pull, put a new thing in, are you even going to try to put it on the east side? Right. You're not going to do you that. You know the resistance, resistance is going to come. come. Right. You're not even going to try. You're going to look at it and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Plus, I need the governor lives on the east side. I need the governor to help me. Yep. Right. Or the governor used to, the old governor did. Right. The mayor isn't going to let this happen. They're not going to let their voters be the, peop, the people who give them money have this happen. Right. So it's not going to happen. You go to a place where people have no political clout, no political uh, ability. It's wonderful. That's why it's wonderful to see things like the People's Port Authority with Monica Huertas and other people in the port fighting this stuff because they're trying to build the political power they need to give themselves a fighting chance <clears throat> against these exact things. So, you know, I'm a big fan of Monica and her work. And uh, sometimes it feels hopeless and overpowering. But I'll tell you, they've had some wins. They've had some losses, too. Yeah. And it just, but we want to, we want to tackle that, that term environmental racism. So yeah. you hear it all the time now. Our progressive legislators at the state house have been using the term quite effectively and often, but people, especially on the right, don't quite understand sometimes what that means. Like how can environmental policy be racist? And so we're trying to point that out here. The Port of Providence being an egregious example, okay, where they find a, a brown, black, you know, poor community and they say, oh, these people aren't going to do shit if we put this here. What are they going to do? So they stick it there, and then they just abuse it, and they just don't follow guidelines. They store all sorts of chemicals there, and they say, the worst thing that can happen is we just, you know, uh, contaminate and ruin the lives of a bunch of people that, frankly, aren't contributing to our campaign coffers or anything. So what do we care, right? That's environmental racism. The highest asthma rates in Rhode Island are in that zip code in the Washington Park area, right next to the... Uh, Part of Providence. When people say no one lives there, because you look around, you don't see a lot of houses. You see the hospital. You'll see some businesses. You'll see these polluting industries. But you know, you walk a half mile, and suddenly you're at a person's house. Yep. And that stretch of Allen's Avenue goes much more than a half a, a half mile. Right? Yep. It goes on forever. People who uh, bike from Warwick to like Providence to work, they take that road, and they are horrified because the smells are overpowering. It kills them. Mm-hmm. Right. I took a. I went down there just to take a tour once, um, and I was on a one of those little scooters, and the smell was overpowering as soon as you get there. And you really feel like while you're there, you're like, "This can't be good for me, right? It just can't be good for you." Um, and then you think about the disasters. I mentioned the pipeline explosion. Um, a gasoline tanker truck overturned on an uh, on ramp to ninety five. It overturned. It leaked. It gushed all its gasoline out. Thousands, tens of thousands of gallons of gasoline came flowing back down the on-ramp and splashing ankle deep past cars that were behind the truck. So people were like, if you got out of your car, you were ankle deep in gasoline. Okay, one cigarette would have like, like, like the whole street would have killed everybody. That stuff flowed down into the street and then went into the drains and then went directly into the bay. Okay. Tens of thousands of gallons, okay? A bomb train, which I mentioned earlier, was coming into the Port of Providence a few years ago. It derailed. The train fell off the rails, kaboom, and it's half on its side. If that had leaked, we don't even know what the chemicals were in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If that had exploded, or it would have like set off a chain reaction for all the other bombs on oh, yeah. that bomb train. And we've seen what happened in, was it Canada? Had a situation exactly like this. that caused yes. a catastrophic explosion. Um, right. That, that really, really messed up. The we industry. were inches away from that bomb train from a catastrophic explosion, really. Okay. Uh, then we have uh, the submarine fire. You know, we have a scrapped Russian submarine tank apart there. Yeah. Scrapyard. A scrapyard, by the way, which has had hundreds of violations and is presently unlicensed. 
They just set up shop one day, started being a scrapyard. Providence never said you could be a scrapyard, but there was no hearings on this. There was no, it was just, hey, guess what? And you go look at that scrapyard. There are two scrapyards. They're separated by about a half a mile or maybe a quarter mile. They're both gross. And this is the best use we can have for waterfront property, by the way. Think about that over another thing, too. You know, just into Cranston Warwick area, when you get further up the bay, is $100,000, $300,000, $400,000 homes on the bay. Well, like I said, sailboats and everything else. You come up here, and we've got, like, we're basically crapping on it, right? We've set up this situation where this could be a park. This could be um, beautiful waterfront property. This could be the, this is what you see if you come from Warwick to Providence and you're not on the highway. This is what you see. When you're entering Providence from the south, if you have your windows open, this is what you smell, right? This is the, this is the smell that greets you when you arrive in Providence is the port of Providence, right? And then you look down over there and what do you see? You see strip clubs. You see, right? You see, um, and, and nothing personal against strip clubs, but you see strip clubs, you see toxic industries, you smell this thing and you're like, and it's a working port. Great. People do have lives there. We do imports, exports there, but we are crapping on what is like basically a, a could be a jewel of Providence. And we just, and we do this without any consideration whatsoever. We think, well, it's making money. It's making taxes. It's killing people. It's ruining lives. It's shortening lives. Monica Huertas, who leads that port of Providence, she's had her children brought into the hospital overnight for asthma because their asthma is being so hit so hard, right? She's fighting for the lives of her kids. And hundreds and thousands of other families around the port are fighting for the lives of their kids. And we are just choking them. We are literally choking the lives out of these children without the least bit of concern. So that's environmental racism. Um, yeah, so I, I want to conclude with that. We're about an hour or so in right now, and I think okay. we, we covered it good, but it is important that people understand what's going on over there, that uh, environmental racism is real, and it's happening right here in Rhode Island, Yeah, and and what you can do about it. You know, Steve, um, you know, do you have tips for people that, that hear this story, that want to get involved, that uh, want to use their clout to... Um, you know, uh, get legislators' attention and let them know that we do care about this and we don't want Providence to be this stinking hellhole in this area. Yeah. Call your legislator. Call your senator. Wherever you live in Rhode Island, call your senator. Call your representative. Say, I support cleaning up the port, for one thing. Tell them that you want, and then if you live in Providence, hit the mayor and hit the, um, and hit like DEM and say, what are you doing? Tell your legislators that you want more money for DEM to have enforcement. Right now, the governor's budget calls for an increase in the number of people to approve uh, the building of infrastructure in Rhode Island at the DEM, but has nothing in there for environmental enforcement of laws, right? We need to reverse what DEM does. DEM right now is just set up to approve bad industry, where we could actually set it up to actually oversee things like what's going on in the port and start shutting people down when they start to do, like if it stinks and you're killing kids, we shut you down. Yeah. You know, get, get on this stuff. Some of these industries should not even be in Rhode Island or should be in parts of Rhode Island that are distant from anybody else. And we have to also seriously think about what kind of chemicals we need in our society, right? Do we need these toxic chemicals? Should we be still building more fossil fuel infrastructure in this state considering the climate crisis, right? One of the recent uh, losses that they suffered there was, was uh, National Grid, being allowed to build a new liquefaction facility, you know, to hold more natural gas. This is was approved by the CRMC, the same CRMC, by the way, which is now under all sorts of investigations for, like, you know, what's going on in uh, the richer communities 
in this state for approving the um, Block Island um, expansion, uh, marina expansion and stuff, right? This is a, these are bad people doing bad things on purpose, and they need to be stopped. Yeah, call if you live in Providence, call your your city councilwoman or councilman or councilwoman. Mm-hmm. Uh, call the mayor's office. Right. If you're any anywhere else, or even in Providence, uh, reach out to your legislator. Uh, I recommend that you call them, leave a message. Usually, we get voicemail. Email them and then post to them on social media. Go on Twitter, go on Facebook, and at them so that they're held accountable publicly and say, listen, I support doing this. What do you say? And then call them out and make them respond. If you need uh, contact info for any of your state legislators, just go to ryrank.com, click on the overall rankings, and we put a nice little uh, column there at the end that has links for all, all of the legislators' social media. Uh, as well as their phone number, uh, uh, click link. So if you're on mobile, it'll bring up the number right away when you click it and their email address contact as well. And bring so, this up during the next gubernatorial race too. But he's going to have a lot of people going for his job soon. And whoever can say, I want to clean up the port might be worthy of more consideration than the oh rest. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so that concludes our show today. If you have feedback about the show, you can email us at podcast at rifp.co. Let us know what you think. Do you like our new format? Does it suck? Is it great? Tell us. Let us know. Email us. Yeah. Uh, go on Twitter. You can at Steve, Steve Alquist. If you want to contribute to Uprise RI or the show, you can donate to us. We'd love to have your contribution. You can go to UprisRI.com, click donate at the top. Be on the lookout for our all-new website debuting probably at the end of this month. Oh, it's good. And then also, what else do we have in store? We have RyRank's social media rankings are coming out this month as well. And uh, Steve has been covering the, the ongoing happenings at the Statehouse each day. So if you want to know what happened at the Statehouse each day, go to uh, UpriseRI.com. And usually they're dated, you know, the Rhode Island Statehouse and then the date. And you can find out exactly what happened, complete with video of anything that went down. And, uh, and that should do it. So don't forget our sister podcast, Can We Fix It? with Maura and Jen, which shows every week on Friday at 12 noon. Yeah. Steve, it's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, next time we'll be talking, we'll be fully vaccinated, Craig and Steve. Yes, that's right. We're both going to be fully vaccinated by next week, finally. Johnson & Johnson, so uh, we'll let you know if we uh, live or die based (laughs) on the one shot um, and done. And that's it. So, guys, make sure you go on Twitter and vote for our topics that we're going to debate next week. We'll have some good ones for you, and we'll see you then. Take care, everybody.